1: A dying of sorts, a dying of the old world, and the birth of a new one. A profound transformation is underway. A global community with a consciousness of oneness is emerging. Don't be distracted by seeming setbacks. Hope is our inspiration and unity our ultimate destination. How we get there depends on the stories we live by and the actions we take. Beautiful words by our guest today. So what stories are we telling ourselves? Our guest today looks beyond our contemporary chaos and crisis and offers a deeply thoughtful narrative of conscious evolution, drawn from the continuous wisdom of the world's religions and points to peaceful unity as our ultimate destination. Moving beyond duality and toward the oneness that embraces all is the story of our time. Our most challenging issue and the greatest task at hand. This is the movement encircling the globe, engaging the hearts of people everywhere. This is how the entire world is being renewed. I love that word and the energy around it. The world is now being renewed renewed in our time. Isn't that beautiful? I invite you to take a few deep breaths. Bring your awareness into this moment. Open your heart and mind and settle into your essential wholeness. As I introduce our guest, Dr. Robert Atkinson, author educator, and developmental psychologist has published nine books, including the 2017 Nautilus Book Award winner, The Story of Our Time, From Duality to Interconnectedness to Oneness. He is an internationally recognized authority on life story, interviewing, and this, I'm going to ask him to explain this to you because I think it's a really interesting way of helping us understand the world. I think it's a really important thing for us right now, and a pioneer in the techniques of personal myth-making and soul-making. Bob is a member of the Evolutionary Leaders, Professor Emeritus at the University of Southern Maine, and Director of Story Commons, and I'm really happy to have him on our show to talk about this whole theme of story-making. So welcome, Bob.
2: Thank you. It's it's a pleasure to be with you, Julie.
1: Oh, I'm I'm really looking forward to our conversation for many reasons. And as you know, I appreciate the whole conversation of talking about moving from duality to interconnectedness to oneness, and that is almost always our theme and intention right here on this show. So we have our first first traditional question. Bob, that I like to ask August to set our conversation in this larger perspective of our interconnected world. So can you share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you?
2: Yeah, that's a great way to begin. And um, it's uh, so true. All things are connected. And I could uh, kind of probably I could go on on that for the whole time that we have because that's really the essence of and the heart of my book that you just referred to. It's, it's um, and, and it's also a uh, really important, probably the most vital way to understand the the um, options that we have for a worldview to, to live by today. And And so just to quickly say a little bit about how I understand all things are connected. I'll just um, draw from one of my seven principles in the book, and um, it's the fifth principle: reality is one, and uh, spiritual forces are guiding us toward unity. You know, so if we go back to um, to the great. We have religious leaders and founders of the world's religions. All we have to do is remember what the Buddha said, that uh, all things originate from one essence, develop according to one law, and are destined to one aim. So if we keep that in mind, that's, that That can become the worldview that puts that concept of all things connected into practice, and we can live that every Every moment of our lives, but there's an alternative to that, which is obviously that all things are not connected, and, and that gets us in a lot of trouble if we have that as a as a worldview, and we and if we go in that direction. So one of the other things I do in my book is I talk about the um, the consciousness continuum, or that how we how our consciousness evolves is. Kind of like a uh, like a continuum, and so on one side of the continuum you have the uh, the pragmatic or practical side which begins with understanding that um, and seeing all things as a duality and you can imagine where that's going to go if we go down that path and that side of the continuum is going to lead to generalizations stereotypes bias prejudice oppression racism, and ultimately to war, uh, when we have that as our worldview, as our mindset, that all things are not connected. That's what creates a consciousness of duality. But if we take that same consciousness continuum and go in the opposite direction, then we would be starting with a principle-centered perspective, which is looking at the whole first and seeing the whole as a whole rather than breaking it down into any of its parts. And so if we start there and go in that direction, across the consciousness continuum, that would lead to respect, appreciation, harmony, equality, cooperation, unity, and ultimately to peace. So this is so important to think of this, uh, your moniker here for your show as as a worldview that could With that as a worldview, that could lead us, and it will ultimately, eventually, lead us to peace. But if we don't have that as a worldview, that has many times already in the past, and could in the future too, lead us to war. And so it's really a choice. The the whole, your, I mean, it's great the way you've um, used that as as your theme and your moniker for your show because it it, it represents a choice that is probably the most important choice any of us can make in our lives today to either see all things as not connected or to see all things as connected and there's a huge difference depending on which of those we choose to live by.
1: Yeah. Well, bringing that forward as a choice um, really is this powerful um, challenge that we have. It it really, I love how you phrase it as this choice and both have consequences. And then I also like how you really envelop this idea um, from the place of seeing the whole first. Because one of the things I really appreciate about your book, Bob, that I have in my hand here, the story of our time, is this idea of the whole first and putting it into this perspective of religious history. You do this incredible job of uh, really assimilating the religious story and the history and helping us understand, as well as the evolution of consciousness on the planet, that we're really moving down this path. And, um, yeah, it's a pathless path and it has multiple paths and and it's, you know, it's so much more than me just saying this path, but it does put a perspective on the story that gives us hope. I'm wondering, I'm going to, I'm just going to pause this talk about the religion and history and where we're going with it, because I also really appreciate your early childhood story that you wrote about briefly in the book, which also, again, sets the seam in this broader perspective of who we are as these seekers, even from a very young age. I would love for you to share your story of waking up as this young boy, exploring the natural world, and then looking beyond the natural world. And here today with this incredible resume of helping us understand this interspiritual movement we're talking about. So can you share a little bit more about your story, Bob?
2: Mm, Yeah, thank you for all of that uh, relating to the book. Yeah, I think, um, so, so the first principle of the, I'll get to my story through the first principle of the book, which is really that we all are born with an inherent urge to understand reality. The the creation that we are part of. We we're all born with that urge to understand it, and sometimes I I think maybe often it comes that urge presents itself comes into our lives before we're even aware of it or even capable of understanding it ourselves at the time. So I was um, really the first thing that made a eventually ultimately made a huge difference for me in my life was something that i didn't really understand at the time it was happening but i was intrigued by um, i was about 9 years old at the time when my grandmother came to live with us for part of the year and i would uh, we had a you know a wonderful grandmother grandson relationship and and she had her room and her part of her daily she had a daily practice routine that included um, going into her room. She left a door open, so I was able to um, peek in once in a while or know what she was doing. But she had her daily practice was to read the Bible in the upper room every day for a certain period of time. And as a as a nine-year-old, I didn't really understand that, but there was something about that that Attracted my soul to um, to acknowledging that to being with her or around her during that time because it, it felt to me, even as a nine-year-old, it felt like something that was uh, very precious and important and meaningful to her. And that's actually on a kind of a side path led what led me also to become many years later interested in the lives of of older people and and what what gives them a sense of meaning and purpose but but at that time that was the um and and at the same time i was also you know my parents uh took me to church and 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 then i ended up doing the whole thing that um children do in church and then later in boy scouts i got the uh Garden Country Awards. So I began pursuing that kind of direction that my awareness of my grandmother's path had led me on without really knowing yet where it was gonna lead me or why it even came into my life. And then and then in college I majored in philosophy because there was nothing else that drew my interest. I didn't have any practical Desires really, then, but philosophy really drew me in, and, and that led me to um, to study the the world's philosophy and the world's r- religions. And then in, col- and then after college, I continued my own independent study of the world's religions, and it just kind of that initial experience, a nine-year-old, kind of led me in that direction without really being aware of. Why or where I was going until a, couple, a few years after college, I had this experience when I was um, walking on the beach, and I, you know, it was one of those. Um, it was more than a moment of awakening. It was it was a moment of of transformation, really, where I uh, had this vision of the clouds opening up and the uh, and there, a lot of colors came together into and, and this bright whiteness and you know, it was one of those kinds of experiences and that without um, thinking too much about it i recognized that um that was really uh, a sign that i had been on the right path all this, all those years since since observing my grandmother and that it was leading me to something even beyond that moment of, of having that experience. So that uh, just kind of really, uh, and that, around that same time too, was when I um, had a series of adventures, spiritual experiences of other types that led me from one pretty amazing experience to another and uh, start, started and this was in it all kind of came to this to fruition and in, in um, 1969 with the uh, and it started with the moonwalk which I watched on television with a group of summer campers where I was a counselor at the time and we all sat mesmerized around this small tv in the dining hall watching the moonwalk and and I was sitting in the standing in the back, realizing, you know, just thinking to myself at the time that this is the first. And you know, they showed the pictures of the Earth in the distance, and I said, "This is the first time that we've literally seen the Earth with no boundaries." And here we are, living on this boundaryless planet, but we don't remember that, and we don't think about that. We can only be reminded of that when we look at the earth from space or from the moon and and that was the beginning and and then there I uh, of a whole other series and that led me to uh to reuniting sort of with Pete Seeger who i had met the year before and that summer a few weeks after the moonwalk was the maiden voyage of the Hudson River Clearwater and he invited me to come along as a crew member to help out with the um with the traveling exhibit that they were creating at the time, so I was uh, the only non-singing crew member on the maiden voyage of the Clearwater up the Hudson River with Pete Seeger and his all of his singing friends, uh, Ramblin' Jack Elliott, Don McLean, and all of everybody. <clears throat> and that led to another series. Uh, what, by the time we got to Albany, that was the weekend of Woodstock. So a few of us went over to Woodstock and experienced that and we came back and I sailed some more down back down the river and whole series of adventures like that that ultimately also led me that winter to meeting Joseph Campbell at one of his talks at Cooper Union. So within a few months, Joseph Campbell and Pete Seeger became my mentors and this was in my mid-20s and they really um, fit in perfectly with everything that was happening to me uh, at that time, because they filled in all the missing details of, of what I was had what I had been experiencing from age nine on up through college and 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 that to that time, so they became my mentors, and the other adventures happened, like um, living in a cabin in the woods and learning more from nature around me, and and being offered a a, a, a cell in a Franciscan monastery as a guest and and I just uh, and that became the, those series of adventures became my memoir which is um going to be released next year in April as a 50th anniversary edition uh it's called year of living deeply a memoir of 1969 so yeah i tried to tie all those key events in my life together for that for that memoir with a little background from the early years that that led up to those Those transformative experiences of my uh, my mid twenties. Mm.
1: Well, the um, the whole idea of um, those experiences that were so informative for you, I can see from this perspective, um, really this beautiful weaving of tapestry that that brings to you this real expertise, this living expertise of this interspiritual um, platform, as well as this the role of narrative and story and mythology in the evolution of history. And, and you, in this book, The Story of Our Time, beautifully weave that together for us. Let's just shift for a mm. moment and talk about the role of narrative and story and mythology mm-hmm. for us in this evolutionary process, because I think if we can really bring our minds to understand that choice that you talked about, and come mm-hmm. into this worldview of our interconnectedness, this whole worldview, um, the story is important and there's some gaps here and it's time to create that news story. So share a little bit more, if you would, about the role of narrative and story and mythology in our lives. And where are we going with that?
2: Yeah, that's a great one, a, a huge uh, topic. But And I, so I could start in a number of places with that. But, um, you know, so if we go back to the beginning of time, the first, the original indigenous peoples, the the way they learned, not, just from each other, but about the universe around them, was they gathered around the campfire at periodic times, certain certain key times of the day or year or season, and told the stories that mattered to them, that that kept that kept them alive and that gave them meaning and that gave them a sense of purpose in in life and also uh, that gave them the the um, guidelines for, uh, for a direction in life. And so that, that's, we, we're, we're the storytelling species. It's storytelling is in our DNA. Uh, yeah, And, and we've, it's gone through just like everything else in our evolution. It's gone through phases or stages when, um, initially with the original indigenous people, it was the heart of their community life. And that has shifted in many ways since then. There have been many other communities uh, after the original indigenous peoples who held storytelling central, but there were so many other uh, things that came along that became Distractions and deterrence from story, from narrative, as being the, the center of their life, and, and then, you know, a quick jump through history. Then, um, the printed word came into being with books, and that was another way of of holding on to our stories uh, by writing them down and having them printed and published and Spread widely that way, and then skip, get, skipping forward, radio came along. That was another way to listen to our stories, share our stories on the radio, and then TV. That whole evolution happened, and now we're at a point where I, I really think uh, stories are and kind are of reclaiming their place in our lives as central to who we are and to what provides us with the meaning in life and the purpose and how we understand the world around us. So so I really do think that stories, especially our personal stories, those that have made a difference to us and have made us who we are, those kinds of deeply held stories are what connect us all as one human family. So there's a really important role for stories in Helping this transformation of consciousness move along and, and complete itself, uh, so uh, stories really have a, a key role in that whole uh, collective transformation process that's, that's under, that we're all experiencing around us, happening right now too.
1: I like that idea um, of using story. You know, often we talk about using the arts as a um, as a whole expression. The variety of arts that can really wake us and evolve our consciousness and when you just specifically talk about storytelling and our personal stories I think when we hear of others um, and their journey we do feel that sense of expansion and I I, I really appreciate this idea okay so um Before we take a break, and I want to dig more into then the story and where we're going in the future and and this transformation that's happening, we're going to expand into um, the role of love and justice and so much more. But before that, I mentioned in this intro, you are an international authority on life story interviewing. I know you've done counselor training. So help us out. What is life story interviewing?
2: Well, yeah, it's a good one, too. You know, we, I mean, we all have the story of our life that we've not only lived, but that we have a inner desire to tell. Even if there are some people who think, uh, and and my students have come back and said this very often, that the person they asked to interview for the life story said, oh, my story is not important. Or, you know, why would anybody want to hear my story? That's the way a lot of people and kind of, in a humble way, feel about their own story, but the reality is the truth of that is that every every uh, life story of every individual is so important because it's crucial to who we are as a as a whole human family and and so the there is a I think there are more people that are interested in telling or writing their their life story now, and there are more people around who are. Uh, trained in certain ways to help other people do that, so that that's a really important uh, process that um, anyone can can and should take advantage of these days to um, to make sure you don't um, not only not uh, don't lose your own story before it's too late to write it down, but make sure you don't lose the stories of your of your family members uh, before that's too late as well because uh, it, it's so important to um, and when we do that the thing that we realize that we recognize immediately is somebody tells their story about an experience they had and, and we immediately remember an experience like our own that was similar so that, that creates an immediate connection to the other person through not just the story that's being told or shared but through the the motifs and archetypes of the stories that we all share as human beings—that's what connects us as a human family.
1: Mm. Another one of those ooh that connects us can connects us all things <laughs> to, to everything. I love right. that. So we need to take a quick break here. I just want to um, acknowledge that idea of our inherent urge for us to explore and understand the nature of reality we're going to do much more of that in the second half and dig into what is the force of evolution what's what's drawing us forward and and what do we do with this feeling we're all feeling right now and what about that happy ending what about that idea of unity and peace so we'll take a quick break we're here with robert atkinson author of the story of our time after the break so much more into that story we'll be right back
0: You're listening to Empower Radio, an entire radio station devoted to your personal development, expanding your conscious awareness, and empowering positive change. Meet our hosts and listen online at EmpowerRadio.com, on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher Radio, or iTunes, or download the Empower Radio app for your smartphone or tablet. It's free in the App Store, and it lets you listen to our shows and podcasts on demand. Empowering people, empowering change. Empower Radio, online at EmpowerRadio.com. Wildfires burn millions of acres each year. And each year, wildland firefighters like Fire Chief James Hall battle to contain them. But they can't do it alone.
2: A single ember that escapes from a wildfire can travel more than a mile. It
0: can ignite and destroy your home, your community, or more. That single ember can be just as dangerous as the wildfire itself. But you can do something firefighters can't. You can act now to prepare your home and your community for wildfire. You can reduce the risk. Do your part. Go to fireadapted.org. Get fire adapted. Learn what you can do now to reduce wildfire damage later at fireadapted.org. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Learn more at fireadapted.org. Dear John, I was hoping it wouldn't come to this, but you've left me no choice. I'm leaving. Uncontrolled high blood pressure is really serious, and lately you seem to really not care. I've been there for you since day one, and I know you think I'm going to keep ticking. But no, my friend, I can quit whenever I want. Why can't we get back to the good times, when we were more active and ate more healthy foods, and you checked on me every once in a while? Is that too much to ask? I don't want to leave, but unless you stop ignoring me, What else am I supposed to do? Remember, when I quit, you quit. Sincerely, your heart. Listen to your heart. Don't let it quit on you. Doing the minimum to control your high blood pressure isn't doing enough. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. Find out how at heart.org slash bloodpressure. Check, change, control. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. This is a guided meditation on parenting. Find a relaxed position to let go of the time you left your daughter's blouse in the dryer too long and it shrunk four sizes, or when you donated her private diary to the public library. Deep breaths. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who don't need perfection. They need you. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids and the Ad Council. Positive radio for a better life. Thank you for listening to Empower Radio. Now, back to The Dr. Julie Show, all things connected on Empower Radio.
1: Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and listen to it. Again, you can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links, as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's the thedrjulieshow.com. Also, stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I'm here today with Bob Atkinson, author of The Story of Our Time. And, Bob, if you don't mind, I want to start us off with a quote from your book. Okay. Uh, Your writing is beautiful. And it's not only um, this comprehensive manual for our future, um, it's poetic and endearing in places. And this paragraph um, really touched me. Many have touched me. I'm going to end the show with another one. But this one says, A new life, a new chapter in humanity's story, is emerging from the decay of yesterday. The springtime of our inner world is infusing a new spirit into the outer world. Unseen but ever-present spiritual forces revealed progressively and cyclically are being released in our time, pushing evolution to higher levels of convergence, signaling humanity's coming of age. We live in the conjunction of transformation and integration where world unity is a realizable goal as we build a culture of oneness, the foundation of a new civilization. Now, if that one paragraph doesn't speak hope to a world that some see in chaos and crisis right right now, I don't know what does. So, Bob, I'd love for you to open this second half by just really um, synthesizing the message in this book, because we are seeing a lot of chaos and crisis around us. There's a lot breaking down. And yet your book is really full of um, grounded, down-to-earth hope that's really grounded in this evolution as you teach us and, and help us see it. So how can you bring this into a synopsis or a synthesis of the book? And then we can dig into a few of those principles.
2: Mm, yeah. Well, thank you for that. Uh, for for seeing it uh, the way you do. Uh, so the the way it was intended. Um, yeah. So the I guess the the preface or the context for that for my answer to your question there would would be that. Um, and going back to the first question about all things connected. I mean, they're connected. All things are connected because. Reality is one. And if we think about that and keep that in mind, I mean, re- reality as one means that there's a unified whole comprising the entirety of creation. And, you know, and so as, as, a, as a developmental psychologist and as someone who's very interested in conscious evolution – I immediately automatically almost think in terms of stages and how how evolution progresses so so it 's a matter of um, being able to see what partly to be able to see what 's all around us and to make sense of it uh, and also take in the uh, the wisdom that we've been provided with by others, especially the spiritual teachers, uh, over time, or across time. So starting with that understanding that reality is one, that means that there are no longer, and again from an evolutionary perspective, there are no longer hundreds of creators. There are no longer dozens of creators. There's no longer three, four, five creators. There's only one creator. And that one creator has put all things in the universe together to be governed by one universal law. And we can see how that unfolds all around us all the time because that include, that one universal law includes cycles of maturation followed by uh, growth, decline, and eventual renewal. That really guide the entire evolution of life on Earth, and even before humanity got here to this planet, the this, the planet was fraught with a series of fits and starts, near endings, only to be followed by another beginning. And and this is the way it's always been, uh, always was before humanity got here, and has been since too. So so the earliest. Indigenous peoples, again, observed this pattern, and they incorporated it into their rites of passage, and they understood that all things are interconnected and interdependent. And that was really the beginning of, of a, what I call in the book a series of spiritual epochs, or ages, in and, and which um, each one was defined by the same cycle of renewal, and it brought each one brought about leaps in consciousness. So, so these were each of these spiritual epics initiated by the world's major prophets, including Krishna, Abraham, Moses, Zoroaster, Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad, and Bahá'u'lláh, founder of the Bahá'í Faith in the mid 19th century. And it's really difficult to deny that each one have changed the course of human life over the last 5,000 years. And each one has brought about a leap in consciousness that's been defined by units of unity. So we started out way back in our early history with with family unity and then tribal unity and then unity in the city-state and eventually unity in the nation. And what's left after that is only one thing which is world unity and that's where we are now and and we're we're in the early phases of this most recent spiritual epic which began in the mid-1800s we're only a century and three quarters into that and if you are familiar with the history of religion you may have noticed that or know that each of those spiritual epics that I refer to have lasted many centuries you know they, they're they not just here for even one or two centuries and gone they're, they're what humanity has lived by the, the teachings that have come from each of those spiritual epics are what humanity have lived by for many many centuries usually 10 or 12 centuries until a new spiritual epic begins so being only a century and three quarters into this latest spiritual epic means that we re- we really are living in a spiritual springtime mm. and and what what's the um the um most challenging issue of our time it goes back to that idea that if we've already accomplished nation building then the next step in our conscious evolution collectively is to create world unity, which is what will lead to world peace, which is what has been promised by all the world's religions. So we're not only living in a spiritual springtime, we're living in a time that all the other people in the previous spiritual epochs have been waiting for, been looking for. Uh, we're the ones living in this time now that have the, the means, the tools, the spiritual tools and principles to bring what has been promised forever about peace on earth. Uh, but it's not going to be uh, an automatic thing. And it's not going to be an easy thing. It's going to be a long, hard process um, that could take... Uh, centuries to complete the whole process, but it's the kind of thing that is designed to follow that pattern of, to break down that, that cycle of renewal in a little different way. What it's really about is that each of those spiritual epics not only have gone through a uh um, Beginning and a growth, maturation, decline, and renewal. They've also gone through what I think of as the three stages of transformation, really, and that can be thought of in more, a little more contemporary terms as beginning, muddle, and resolution. Of course, a muddle is when things don't go smoothly, but uh, and and that's where we find all conflict and chaos and everything that we see around us happening now. That's all part of the model that we're in in this time, which is necessary to bring to bring us to the resolution that will lead to the ultimate um, goal of humanity since its very beginning, peace on earth. But it's a process that is going to involve some struggle and, um, we, you know, we can see that pattern play out in our individual lives. That's what I call personal mythmaking. When we apply that pattern of transformation to our to our personal lives, we we uh, identify and describe and learn from how that pattern of transformation has played itself out in our own lives. But it's the same. Process the same pattern that's also happening, happening collectively. Mm-hmm. So one way we can think of it is that we're currently, because we're in this muddle still, collective muddle. We we can also think of it as a, as a, being in the uh, dark night of the collective soul, and that's where we are. and And we're all to to bring us through that and to the resolution that's going to follow. We're all necessary and needed midwives of that process. That's how, that's the only way it's going to come to that uh, completion that we all want uh, to see happen here is through the active effort of every individual living by the spiritual principles and values and uh, living by a worldview that says and understands that all things are connected. When, when more, As more and more people begin to live by that worldview, that, that understanding and apply that and bring it about in their uh, everyday lives and their everyday interactions with each other that's what will move us closer to the realization of peace on earth. Nice. So it's a long, it, it's been a long evolutionary process to get us to this point. And it's going to be uh, more of the same coming along um, uh, that, that we're, that we're the um, the midwives for the, the handmaidens for to, to assist that process and happening the way we the way we want it to, rather than some other way that we might not want it to. It's all so, in our yeah. hands. Bob, there's
1: a um, a concept in the book that I think is important to kind of lift up now as you're talking about this promise of world peace, that you know that is here. It's a very old promise, and it will be fulfilled. And we're talking about midwifing this new world and really this whole evolution of of consciousness, spirituality, and so much more. Is that the idea that you write about that there's this spiritual force or forces, I don't know if it's unity or singular, but Mm. but there's this spiritual force that guides us toward unity, that this force is within. So as midwives, I'm just wondering if you could respond to this, that here we are as individual midwives, the idea of really tapping into that force, that guiding force, and allowing ourselves to co-create with that force that, to me, when you say it's going to be a long road ahead, there's a lot to do yet, evolution um, won't be easy, to me, when we really grasp the power and potentiality of this guiding force, these spiritual forces that are guiding us toward unity, um, we tap in with it and we, we flow our work, our choices, our action, our steps, our informed by this
2: guiding force, hmm. do you agree? Yeah, that's that's yeah, definitely that's really true and important to bring out. Um, so the way this is all seen can be a, can be a few ways, and what you were just mentioning is a really important way to to uh, <clears throat> uh, important part to be aware of in in the process because it's a process that is not. I mean the the Timing is not determined for the outcome. Even though the outcome is determined, the timing for it is not, which means that we also have it in our power and capability to, if we are, if we, if each of us kind of tuned in, understood, recognized, and tuned into those spiritual forces that are guiding us toward unity, we would really speed up the process a lot more quickly than if we resisted or if we you know held held back or or even it, or, and especially if we um, then if we um, resisted in a in an opposite kind of way so it all depends on how much we are in tune with the spiritual forces that are uh, all around us every moment of our lives we can we can pick up on them, and and um, some people have and have written about them. I mean, this is a whole other part of my book that I won't go into now. But um, the Bahai revelation that I mentioned that we're only a century and three quarters into came about during the time during the lifetime of Darwin, and Darwin unfortunately is known for his uh, theory of survival of the fittest, but he's if you if anyone really understood or studied his work you would know that for darwin the uh, law of cooperation was just as important and and so he was i mean i'm just quickly using that as an example of someone who picked up on the spiritual forces that were just being released during his lifetime but but nobody else really has kind of followed that that thread of his of his really um Uh, paradigm shifting writing and so there's so many other examples like that of um, people who have picked up the um, and and you know that's not only evolved but as our time into this current epoch evolves what may have been you know, a a handful or a few dozen or a few hundred people in the world, maybe in the the late 1800s. Now, today, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of people all around the world um, who are, uh, whether they're literally conscious of it or not, who are being uh, impacted by and picking up on those spiritual forces that are guiding us toward unity. That's what the whole evolutionary impulse is about. It's a process that's guiding us toward unity, and and if we can uh, tap into those forces, um, they will change our lives. I mean, you know, and this is the kind of thing that um, that uh, they're they're. They are guiding us toward oneness, and they're coming into sharper focus today. Uh, you know, now in 2018, um, and other things, other aspects of that that have been around forever, like unconditional love, as the foundation for universal code of ethics, um, which is uh, expressed in the in the um, the golden rule. That has been uh, becoming clearer and been brought into sharper focus as well. So that's the kind of thing that um, the spiritual forces moving us toward unity is what Brother Wayne Teasdale spoke about when he said, "This unity is the heart of all mysticisms. It is awareness of non-duality and non-separation, of no distance between ourselves, the ultimate mystery, and other." beings so that's um, and so he's another one that has picked up on that um, the unifying force uh, all around us today and there are so many others I mean there's my book has a uh, list of um, <clears throat> a couple dozen or so organizations that are working they're all working toward uh, developing a consciousness of oneness in one way or another and they've all uh, somehow found that uh, and became, and have become part of that uh, spiritual force leading us toward unity. So so there are so many nonprofits and other uh, both religious, spiritual, and secular organizations all around the world that are already working toward that and are um, uh, cr- actually in, in the process creating a global movement uh, that I also talk about in the book—a global movement of our time, our, uh, which is uh, building a culture of oneness. So that's that's happening all around us.
1: Yeah, it's very exciting. You're you have the list in the in the back of the book. I also want to remind our listeners there's an incredible repository of resources on that very topic at goodofthewhole.com as well as we're looking toward this culture of unity and wholeness. So I'm going to put you on the spot here, Bob, in two minutes or less, okay? This is really a big assignment because you have less than two minutes. (laughs) Are you ready? In summarizing, we've got to bring this to a close. I want to just remind our listeners you can find out so much more about Bob's work at robertatkinson.net. It's A-T-K-I-N-S-O-N. And so your your assignment for this two minutes or less to bring us into a closes. I'm wondering, as you re-envision the world that's being born and you re-envision the um, role of this new Baha'i and this next step of our story, this next chapter, what do you see in the future, in two minutes or less?
2: Well, yeah, that's a great... Um... Well, I, I do see the uh, that that we're already in the midst of a global movement of building a culture of oneness. and And so what that is what that means to me, um, first of all, is that um, I really do see love as the sacred activism of our time. It's because it's the only force that can eliminate all forms of prejudice. I mean, one of the biggest, challenges we have in the world today is recognizing the reality that humanity is one family and that's not going to happen until all forms of prejudice are eliminated and love is the only way that's going to happen so love is the sacred activism of our time and 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 love allows us to see all things with the eye of oneness even though we may look different to each other it, with with love we can see each other with the eye of oneness and so a consciousness of oneness is really achievable in this world now i mean it's not only achievable it's it's necessary for our survival uh, as we become a global village so a culture of oneness also means to me uh, living in unity within our multiplicity honoring our diversity within our common heritage as human beings and also safeguarding our differences while we recognize that we are more alike than unlike there's so much more to fill out that that um, rough uh, general concept but that's uh, basically what it comes down to what it will look like and um, Mm -hmm. there are already so many signs of this global interfaith interspiritual indigenous indigenous and interdisciplinary effort uh, going on all around us Mm.
1: Bob, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with all of our listeners today. I could talk about this topic for um, infinity and beyond. So thank you for joining us.
2: Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure.
1: And I want to leave you with Bob's words right here to close the show. Our choice is to live in separation from all things or in union with all things, the eternal self guided by the most powerful force in the universe, love, seeks to integrate wholeness and communion with the soul, others, and the creator. Its perspective is a seamless, is a seamless, unified, whole worldview consisting of one reality. It knows that its life is part of every other life and therefore in harmony with creation. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie show, all things connected. Remember together we're creating connections for the good of the whole until next time. I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.